Good morning. Our call to worship today is from Psalm 73. Will you stand and join us in singing? Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They are not in trouble as others, our pride is their necklace. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. how to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. You make them fall into ruin. They are destroyed in a moment, swept away by terrors. You put an end to everyone who is faithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of your works.
to go. The rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Father, according to your mercy, you have made us alive again to a living hope through the resurrection of your Son. And Lord, we're, we're grateful that nothing can defile or tarnish or make untrue this hope that we hold and share together in faith. So God, may this good news fill us this morning, that our faces would be, be lifted, that our doubts would, would find the scars in your hands that all of our betrayals would meet you on the shore, experiencing your disarming love and grace. Lord, meet those of us here this morning that, that feel steady and present. May we seek you and know you even when we have settled into contentment or find ourselves walking through the mundane. And along these paths, Lord, would you grow in us the, the, the characteristics of your spirit especially the, those virtues that can be pushed away by vice. Father, meet those of us that feel the ache and the pull of temptation, the turn of the heart towards things that seem like life and goodness, but yet have brought us emptiness and grief. Lord, meet, meet us with your radiant and revealing words of life. And Lord, grant us strength and courage to move towards your light, to travel the difficult paths of repentance, to love our neighbors as you have loved us. So Father, lead us by your word and sacrament to the word who bears our flesh and change us by it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, children are now dismissed for children's worship. Note the, the fifth through eighth grade will also meet in the old teacher's lounge. Well, we turn now to our time of confession and assurance, a time where we do acknowledge with God humbly our sin and our need of him. And we'll do this together as a church and then have a time of personal quiet confession. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Gracious and gentle Father, we confess to you the sins that we continue to struggle with, even after confessing them to you time and time again. Give us hope and perseverance, we pray through Jesus our Lord. Amen. and brooding 
Father, we, we're thankful that in Christ we have a good shepherd, one who will leave the 99 to save the one lost, and more than that, who lays down his life for his sheep. So, Lord, we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand to hear the words of assurance that come to us from Romans chapter 8. Let's join together. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Well, as we've been welcomed into God's family, let's take a moment to welcome one another in the name of Christ.
The Old Testament lesson is from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 7, and verses 10 through 11. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his, his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The gospel lesson is from John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. 
So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It's good to be here uh, with you. Thanks, Ozzy, for reading um, from the scriptures for us. Uh, this Sunday, we're starting a, a sermon series that will take us up to Easter. Um, we're going to look at the New Testament book of Hebrews. And specifically, we're going to look at how Hebrews uh, calls Jesus our high priest. Uh, the general theme of the book of Hebrews is the, is the greatness of Christ. Uh, or you could say the unique significance of Jesus. And one of the ways it does this is that it kind of makes a number of arguments how Jesus is greater or better than all the things that have come before. Uh, for example, it, it says that he is the better hope, the better covenant, the better promise, the better sacrifice, the better redemption, and the better high priest. Uh, it's helpful for us to know that this letter, this book, was written to Christians who at that time were facing all sorts of pressure and uncertainty and suffering. And it encourages those believers to hold on to your confession. To not lose heart, to press on, run the, the race that's set before you. And in part of doing that, to encourage those to, to hold on, to continue, is to look to Jesus. Look at the founder and perfecter of our faith. Look at the one who has gone before us. And as I mentioned, as part of this sermon over the next few weeks, we're going to look specifically how Jesus is the better high priest, the one who's gone before us, who is our mediator, the one who represents us before God. And it's in this work that he does as a priest that he secures for us a peace of conscience, a sure rest and a bold confidence in the grace and mercy of God. So my hope is that we can see these things and be encouraged as we receive them from God. So let's look at our passage. This is from Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4. As we get started, these are the places in Hebrews where Jesus is first introduced as a high priest. So we'll read from chapter 2 and then a few verses from chapter 4 as well. You can follow in your order or in your Bible. This is Hebrews 2, verse 10, then 14 through 18, and then Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. For it was fitting that he, that is God, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bring many children to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those 
who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is God's word given for our good. Lord, we ask that your spirit would be with us, that you would illuminate your word, that we could hear and receive it. Lord, speak to us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage and think about uh, Jesus in this way, I want to ask two questions this morning. Uh, One is, what is a high priest? What is the role of a high priest? And the second, how is Jesus a better one? How is Jesus a better high priest? Given our distance from when this book was written, it can be challenging to connect with this title or the idea of a high priest. And so it's good to start by even just asking, what what does this mean? What, What is this role? And the high priest was to be a bridge or a mediator between the people and God. A true high priest, as set out in the Old Testament, was on one hand someone able to act as God's representative, embodying God's mercy, God's character, God's reliability. And on the other hand, the priest was one able to identify with or represent the people. So we begin, there's my sermon time. I guess I'll pick that up instead of just making it up as I go. Um, Let's see. Wow. Um, all right. So, so as we begin, as I said that, think about Jesus as high priest is that he is a bridge or a mediator between God and his people. He represents God to us, and he represents us before God. And so I want to take a moment to think about both those things. First, Jesus represents God to us. We spent Epiphany the last few weeks thinking about this. If we ask who God is, what is God like, we look at Jesus. And Hebrews in chapter 1 says something similar. The author stresses that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is called the radiance of the glory of God, the exact representation of God's being, the one who upholds the universe with the power of his word. And it continues in chapter 1 saying, All else will pass away, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In addition, it stresses that Jesus is without sin as a way of saying that he represents God to us in his being, but also in his life in obedience. He represents God in obeying God's holy law of love. Again, if we want to see what God is like, Jesus shows us he represents God to us. But now in our passage that we just read, we see that while Jesus is the act exact representation of God, he is also made like us, like brothers and sisters in every way. 
So you see, second, Jesus represents us to God. He represents us to God. He identifies with us. And that's what our passages are, are, are really about today. He shares in our flesh and blood, we're told. He experienced the same conditions, the same suffering, even death itself. If he's going to represent us, it means that in order to overcome death, that which fills all of us with fear and holds us captive, Jesus had to experience it, to taste it in the manner of all other human beings. And in order to atone for our sins before a holy God, Jesus had to suffer temptation like us, sharing in our flesh and blood, being like us in every way. These words affirm his participation in humanity. It wasn't just a general concept, but that he knows our weakness, our suffering, our testing and temptation, because he himself walked in those things. This solidarity and identification enables him to be what our passage calls a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Jesus represents God to us, and he represents us before God. You can ask, what is the role of a high priest? Well, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy summarizes it this way by saying, there is one God and one mediator between God and humans the person Jesus Christ. There is one mediator, and a mediator has to have links in both sides. So Jesus is the one who faithfully represents who God is, and as Exodus says, representing God's steadfast love and faithfulness. But he also stands with us. Jesus turns towards God to bear the sin and the fear and the needs of his people. I recently came across an article titled, What Adults Forget About Reading. What Adults Forget About Reading caught my eye. and It says this, there is a powerful aspect of reading, one that adults often end up forgetting. Many of us read solely to be exposed to newness, new information, new stories. But for children and young people, books can become special because they become so familiar. Clutched like a comfort object, there is a sense of relief in reading again and again a story one already knows. The article's author mentions the graphic novels Smile and Sisters and Guts as ones his daughters read over and over and over again. And maybe we can relate to that or maybe we can think about that in our family that there are books or series that are special to us, Harry Potter or Chronicles of Narnia or something else that becomes so important partly because of its familiarity. Books are comforting, especially when you're growing up because there is a character that you can identify with or scenes and maybe especially an ending that you already know. And I know scripture and the gospel story aren't novels and they aren't children's books but I want to suggest to you that I think there is a connection here. You see, in Hebrews, in the face of uncertainty, the face of profound struggles that the Christians were experiencing, the author encourages them to look over and over again to Jesus 
and the story of who he is. Remember, re-enter the story, tell it to yourselves again. Remember, and we can summarize it in the way that Paul did, there is one mediator between God and humans. There is the person Jesus. Remember, look again, that there's a comfort in reminding ourselves you are not alone. This is what a mediator actually is saying to us. We are not alone to face this world and all of its challenges. You're not alone to navigate the fears, the burdens, the separations of this life. Jesus is our mediator, which means that he doesn't just give us information, doesn't just kind of yell to us some important notes to take. He stands with us. He identifies with us. He joins us, telling us that we do not face life or give an account on our own. So what is a high priest? The high priest was a bridge or a mediator that would connect God and his people. That we do not stand alone with our sin and death and struggles, but there's one with us. And so we can ask the second question then is how or in what way is Jesus a better high priest? Why is he the one that we should look to and remember over and over again? Well, as I mentioned in the very beginning of the sermon, that Hebrews is about the greatness of Jesus, how he is uniquely significant. And one of the ways that this book does this uh, is using the kind of argument of greater versus lesser, or more weighty versus something that's less. For example, although the angels are ministering spirits, Jesus is God's son. Although Moses was a servant in God's house, Jesus is the builder of the house. Although Joshua brought his people into the promised land, Jesus is the trailblazer and the pioneer who leads God's people into God's glory, his eternal rest. And although the Old Testament priests pointed to God, Jesus is the high priest who actually passed through the heavens, who dwells with God and intercedes for us in God's very presence. How or in what way is Jesus a better high priest? Well, I want to highlight two of the words from our passage for us to see two reasons why we can know that or why he's worth looking at. The first word is sympathy. The first word is sympathy. Did you notice that Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses? Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. And I want to suggest that here in, in chapter 2 and 4, when Jesus is first introduced with this title, that this is who he is, this is how we can understand who Jesus is, the fundamental reason, like the argument that's being made of his qualification is that he knows your flesh and blood. He knows what it is to be a human being. He knows temptation. He knows suffering. He knows pain and death. And this is what it means when our passage opens, saying it was fitting, it made sense that God would, should make the founder of our salvation perfect through suffering. It's a way of saying that when Jesus suffered, his experience of weakness and hurt and being rejected and betrayed and tested, it prepared him to be our high priest. It prepared him to know our suffering, 
to be able to sympathize with our weakness, that he can fully join us in the most difficult of places, in the most profound needs that we have. See, Jesus' mercy is not just in his ability to address our pain, but to understand it and to appreciate it. His mercy is not just his ability to resolve things, but his understanding of our condition. Madison Pierce is a professor, and in an article that she wrote called Hope and the High Priest, Hope and the High Priest, she writes of her experience of illness and chronic pain, and how Hebrews' image of Jesus as her priest was helpful to her. She writes of a time that she was especially facing pain and illness. She writes, dragging myself up the stairs, willing my legs forward inch by inch, I fix my eyes on Jesus as the author of Hebrews urged me to do. But when I looked, Jesus was not sitting comfortably at the top waiting for me. He was dragging himself up the stairs too. Jesus was weary and in pain and was with me. This picture of solidarity transformed me in the way I thought of my faith. Christ knows our weakness. In every respect, he was tempted. These are very broad words that are being used. Weakness here being a broad word that captures, in a full sense, our frailty, any physical limitations that are caused by illness or age or struggle or fatigue or wounds. Every respect he was tempted in the sense that he knows what it is to live in this world and the lies that are told to us that you are what you have or that you are what your job is or you are what people say you are. In every respect. If this is true, if this is what we're invited to think of faith as, Jesus, again, is not standing up pointing out this or that, one who knows what it is to be exhausted. Knows what it is to be disappointed and hurt by those close to him. He knows the temptations that we face. He knows the temptation to lie, to lie to others, to avoid conflict or difficulty. He knows what it is to, to desperately want to hold or cling to what you have because of the uncertainties of the future. He knows what it is to live in this world. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. Simone Weil is a French philosopher and a believer in Christ. And she writes, the capacity to give one's attention to a sufferer is a very rare and difficult thing. The capacity to give one's attention to a sufferer is a very rare and difficult thing. It's almost a miracle. It is a miracle. This attention that they speaks of is not pity. It's a way of looking at and listening to another, a willingness to even encounter the reality of another's experience and their suffering. And what I want us to hear, consider, is that Hebrews here is telling us that this one who sees you, who gives attention to you, who does this kind of miraculous of entering in, 
the one who's joined you in your weaknesses. He is the one who's passed through the heavens. That's how Jesus is described. He's the one who's passed through the heavens. Our passage marries together the sympathy of Jesus with the fact that he's passed through the heavens. What, what does that mean? It means Jesus, having carried our sin and death as our representative, was then raised to new life. He ascended to the throne, the very presence of God. This is what the scriptures tell us, that he was exalted and vindicated by God because of his faithful work as our priest. And therefore, then he sat down at God's right hand in honor. And hear this, it's here at God's side that he represents us as our high priest, interceding for us, speaking on our behalf, continuing to apply the work he did for us on earth. Jesus, having become human at the incarnation, doesn't stop being a human when he rose from the dead or ascended to heaven. He still remembers what it's like to be hungry and weak and fatigued and tempted. And that's what leads to the second reason he's a better high priest. Not just sympathy, but we can have confidence. Confidence that we're exhorted to come before the throne of God with our needs because the one there meeting us knows our needs and faced them. We can draw near and we can boast, we can have confidence not to, to your strength or my strength or our resources or our resume. We can, bold, we can cling boldly to this truth that we have access to God through Jesus. He stands with us. He bears our sin and shame and death. And so therefore, when we pray, when we confess our need, when we cry out for help, when we acknowledge our weakness and our sin, we're not shouting across a gulf. We're not somehow trying to get God's attention. We're not kind of climbing ourselves over a barrier or bridging the gap ourselves. We have one who's come to join us, to mediate, to be the bridge for us. We have a high priest who's merciful and faithful, who has been vindicated by God, and who knows what it is to walk in our shoes. So let us come. Let us come with confidence to the one who can sympathize and the one whose grace is greater than our sin. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are a God that does not leave us, but has drawn near to us. And thank you for Christ, who mediates for us, representing us before you, Lord. And we ask this, we give, us, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand with us and we'll sing together. Mercy speaks by Jesus' blood. Hear and sing, ye sons of God. Justice satisfied in thee. Christ has full atonement made. Jesus' blood speaks loud and sweet.
heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. And as we prepare to come, we remind ourselves again of the, of the story of God's grace towards us. We see at this table our place in God's family, our place at this family meal is not because we somehow earned our place or we made our way back, but it's because of Christ's broken body and shed blood, that we have a welcome and a standing before God because he represents us before him. As we prepare to take this, I want to encourage us to think for a moment how Jesus' confidence, the confidence he invites us to have to come to him, it frees us. It frees us to not just receive from this table, but it frees us then to offer forgiveness to others or to ask for forgiveness. This table not only feeds us and welcomes us, but it turns us out to be those who share generously Instead of clinging and holding tightly, those who offer a welcome to others. For this is what we've received in Christ and what he invites us to do as his people. The one who joins with others in their weakness 
and in their suffering and in their struggle. We give you thanks, Lord, that you've invited us to this table. We thank you, Lord, for this bread and cup, and we pray, Lord, that you set them apart. And by your spirit, that you would meet us and nourish us this day. We give you thanks for these things that we can see and hold and taste that speak of your grace to us, that we're not alone. We do not give account of our life on our own or acknowledge our weaknesses on our own or confess our sin or guilt on our own, but we have one who's drawn near. We give you thanks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. This table is for all those who have acknowledged their need before God and placed their faith in Christ, their hope in him. If you're participating in communion today, I invite you to come down the center aisle. You can receive the bread and the cup up front, and you can go back on the sides. If you're able to hold the elements, I ask that you'd hold them to everyone has been served, that we can eat and drink as one family. If you're not participating in communion today, I encourage you to see this table as an invitation, as a picture of who, who God is. And I, we invite you to come forward as well. Just put your arm across your chest, and Pastor Brian or I can offer a prayer blessing for you here at the table. Those who are serving can come forward at this time.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. When Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins, let us drink in faith. In response to this table, I invite you to stand that we can pray and sing and confess together as God's people. Jesus, our Lord, help us to cast aside our own pursuits of exaltation. Grant by your spirit that we may live as servants of all, bearing a genuine humility that trusts in your grace as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is to join together in affirming your faith, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Well, on a regular basis, we invite uh, different uh, mission partners and uh, here in the city to come and, and share with us, and, and so we can get to know them better and find ways that we might be able to serve and support them. So I want to invite Franklin to come forward. Um, there's Hopefully you got a little white slip here that was handed out with the orders, but it has information about one-on-one, the ministry. So Franklin, come on up, and he's going to share a little bit about what this ministry is, and then after the service, he's going to hang around the, the bagels and coffee, hopefully you know, enjoying them as well, but also have a chance to, to chat with him if you want to get uh, more information. So thank you, Franklin. Thank you, Lincoln Square, for having me us here today. And uh, I just want to read our mission statement. It says, to affirm the dignity and self-reliance of underserved individuals and their families through meaningful employment. And I had a whole, like, 30-second spiel I was going to share today. But I just want to read with you, and I even prepped with uh, Pastor Chad, like, this is what I like to say today. But I totally changed that. And... On the back of your bulletins, it says staff. It says Pastor Chad, Assistant Pastor uh, Brian, uh, Adonijah, Director of Missions, Melinda, Ministry and Children's Program, uh, Justin's over the youth, he's the youth ministry coordinator, uh, Jody is uh, Director of Worship, and Nathan is the Assistant Director of Worship. And as I was re looking at, going through the bulletin and looking at this, uh, when we came here this morning, everything was ready, set up, um, nothing was in disarray, 
and uh, this is meaningful work for those that are on staff here at Lincoln Square, right? And if we, if I had the opportunity to talk to each person how they landed here, everyone's journeys looked, looks a lot different than how they ended up at um, Lincoln Square. And one-on-one, um, -on -one we serve majority of our clients are on the south and west side of Chicago, and all their journeys are different. And everyone is looking for meaningful work. Um, for all the fellas in this uh, space today, um, when we were younger, we made some bad decisions, right? Um, in our teenage years, in college, and it was always, as I look back at my journey, it was one person that influenced me negative, and then there was one person that influenced me um, in a positive way. And so that uh, one man in particular, his name was Donald Faber, and that's how I came to know faith in Christ. Um, he was a white businessman from Carroll Stream, and he shared the gospel with me and changed my life, right? And because of his time, his work ethic, and his journey, I stand before you today. And so at one-on-one, -on -one, we're looking for uh, not just volunteers, but people that are dads, moms, retirees, college students, that want to affirm individuals. It doesn't matter your ethnicity, your gender, your economic background, your academic background. If you can affirm uh, an individual, that will change their life. If we had time today and we put a, a, bill, a chalkboard up and we were all to write a name or two of an individual that impacted our life, that chalkboard would be full. I know I'm, I'm going old school with chalkboard. Some of the kids are like, what's that? What's a chalkboard? Tell me, right? Um, that's the growing up in CPS in the 70s and 80s. But um, I, I just share that because sometimes when groups come up and they want to volunteer, it's like, well, how am I going to relate? How am I going to do this, right? And, and, I, and I share my story, not out of pity, not looking for, oh, that's great, but to look for God can use whoever he may. Right. And so thank God for being here today. The service was wonderful to know like we have a high priest that stands for us here at Lincoln Square on the north side. And he's on the south side and west side and other places globally. So thank you. I'll be in the back or I'll be at by the uh, coffee if you have questions about ways to volunteer. pray. Um, dear Lord, we thank you for one-on-one -on -one and for Franklin and the work that they're doing um, in this city, in this world, on your behalf. Um, we thank you that they affirm the dignity of each and every human being, um, human beings made in your image, human beings um, made in the light of, of the fellowship of the Trinity, um, intended to share life together, um, to bring life to one another. Um, we pray that you might bless his work, um, bless their work, um, and help us to come alongside um, to support their work and to affirm the dignity, um, the holiness of each and every human being uh, in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Franklin. We're going to continue worshiping through time of giving our offering, so I want to invite the greeters to come forward. Um, there'll be a gray basket you can put your uh, communion cup in, and then there's a silver offering plate if you'd like to give a gift to the church. Uh, you can also do that. You can see through the church website or by text. You can give an offering in response to God's generosity. 
but again, welcome. We're glad that, glad that we can gather and, and worship together. Uh, if you're sitting in the center aisle uh, today, there is a black information pad underneath your chair. If you're sitting in the center aisle, I might reach down and grab that, and you can fill it out and pass it down so you can know who you're worshiping with. And if you are uh, just started coming to the church and want to share your information, uh, we'd love for you to do that. You can do that information pad, or there's a, a QR code that you can do it online as well. Um, but just a one reminder that there is a time of coffee and bagels after the service. It's in the hallway right behind me. Everyone's invited to stay. It'll be a chance to get to know each other. It's also a chance you can uh, connect with Franklin and hear about the work that's happening at one-on-one and, and ways that you might uh, want to be involved either in person or even uh, from a distance. Uh, there's different ways you can help. So I encourage you to stay after for that opportunity. Let's continue uh, worshiping God by the giving of our gifts. to sing the doxology. Oh, 
receive God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.